0: You know that. she's
1: wearing her constellation <laughs> around her neck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Each of those stones are from a different planet.
0: <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, how do you know? Yeah. Lots of constellations. Yeah,
1: it's it's pretty exciting. It is. So we have some news and our news today is about space
0: mm-hmm.
1: and telescopes. Yes. And uh, here to tell us about it is someone that's lived in space, (laughs) maybe, (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Page Monet. Tell us the news, okay? So
0: um, December 25th, 2021 was when the James Webb Telescope was launched. And this week, we have images back from them, from them. Yeah. From them? From the, <laughs> <laughs>
1: so who's running that telescope?
0: <laughs> that, that's a secret. It's a clue. Sorry, let me <clears throat> back let me <clears throat> back up. So now I have images back from the telescope. <laughs> Do you want to see them?
1: Yes. Okay. Definitely want to see
0: them. So we're gonna compare the Hubble to <clears throat> James Webb. That is the Hubble. And that is James Webb. Wow. Yeah, you can see a and little And that's
1: the one on your necklace, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I recognized. It. <laughs> Did you? <laughs>
0: so this one's Hubble. Look at that! Isn't that amazing. I see so much more. It's, it's, it's just interesting
1: exciting. when you look between those stars. You can see all of those galaxies. Yeah. And as we look out farther and farther and farther, each one of those galaxies is like the Milky Way galaxy. It's amazing. I mean, they're, they're huge. It's just amazing. It's big. It's huge. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's the Hubble. And there's a new one. is amazing?
1: That is amazing. And that star right in the middle? Uh-huh. That's another That's one funny. on
0: there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm representing them.
1: Yes, of course. <laughs> and we have one more. <laughs> okay, one more.
0: That's our Hubble again. And there's James Butler. Wow. That is amazing. So much detail.
1: It is incredible.
0: It is I love it. It's so exciting to me.
1: When you think how big that lens, the mirror
0: uh-huh.
1: on the James Webb, and how they had to be able to fold it up to get it in the rocket ship, it's, it's really pretty so, yeah. exciting, isn't it?
0: And so many things could have gone really badly wrong, but think But they didn't, they didn't <laughs> did they? And
1: you notice um, it's come out now that uh, my cousin, uh-huh. Elon no, Musk. I'm pretty sure he's my cousin. I think
0: so, we're gonna have to track that back. Yeah,
1: I think we both <laughs> went through Adam or something like that, but anyway. <laughs> someday so. I'm gonna have to meet Elon. Mm-hmm. But so he's still on this thing to go to Mars. Yes, he
0: is. And
1: so he's got this new rocket ship that sticks out these arms and spins around like a carnival ride so you have gravity. Isn't it interesting that when you spend time in space and in micro or or no gravity like up at the space station the muscles in your body get real lazy Mm -hmm. and even the bone density begins to go away Mm -hmm. and so the When the astronauts go up the space station They have to do this big exercise routine every day to be able to keep up their Mm -hmm. bone density and their muscles and even then Quite often when they come back to Earth, they almost have to be carried out with a stretcher because <gasps> gravity on Earth has increased so much, or so it seems. Yeah. So if you're gonna have a long trip like to Mars, then you're gonna need to be able to have gravity to stay toned. And so he's got this really strange rocket that goes out, shoots out these arms, spins around like a centrif- centrifugal force carnival ride, <laughs> to get, and, and you know, It probably would never work. He'd probably never make it. I mean, it's like saying, oh, he's probably gonna have all these little trains flying around the world of satellites, (laughs) or or, rockets that come and land on a little platform. Yeah, he's
0: not gonna do that. It's
1: impossible. (laughs) But he he will, he will. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Well, thank you for sharing those with us. So we now can see farther and more clearly than we ever have before. And that's exciting. That's a lot of what science and inventioneering is about. Many of our experiments are created for the very purpose of being able to see what we couldn't see before, to mm-hmm. see further away, to see more clearly. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an exciting thing. I want to thank Tobias for sharing with us uh, about headphones. That was kind of interesting, wasn't it? Really it really was. Yeah, I, I can remember those old uh, telephones. Yeah, I was okay. telling about it before. I mm-hmm. just, you know, you listen to the ring, and if it would ring, ring, long, and three short, ding, 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 that meant it was for us. Mm-hmm. I would run over and pick up the phone. And if it rang any other way, it meant it was for our neighbor. So that means you pick up the phone with your hand over it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you could hear. It, it was really neat. Yeah, don't cough, though, while you're doing that.
0: (laughs) And don't breathe heavy, huh?
1: It's really bad when uh, Mr. Jones says, Roger, get off the phone. He
0: could tell by Uh, the way you did, huh?
1: I think he could tell my cough. (laughs) Anyway, that uh, discussion by Tobias is very interesting to me this week because I've been working a lot on the new Acellus pods that were going to be shipping out to schools this year, and I'm trying to eliminate headphones. Here's Tobias trying to invent them,
2: mm-hmm. and I'm
1: trying to eliminate them. Headphones create problems for students that are trying to study. You know, on the on the new pods, we have uh, found these uh, little wobble stools, you know, so that you can move around while you're And and it's good for you. You can get a P.E. credit for... That's how we're going to do it. (laughs) Well, at the same time. uh, But um, we've had a lot of problem with breakage of headphones. They are kind of annoying. Mm -hmm. And schools say they just go through them. When when they take the cord and go like this, (laughs) they don't last as long, especially when they hit something. (laughs) But the, the real concern that I have, remember with the new pods, we're trying to make it so that they prevent... Uh, sharing germs, Mm -hmm. and that's why we have the the platform in the middle with the things that pull in the air and run it through ultraviolet light to sterilize the germs. Sterilize means makes them so they won't reproduce. But it also has uh, a problem when you put headphones on, they spread germs. I Mm -hmm. mean, they, they can... Share head lice with your friends. <laughs> Try these. <laughs> and you can also have other kinds of, of germs that can be spread that way. And so I'd really like to have it so that we don't have headphones. We tried running a lab where every computer had its own little speakers right up close to the student. We turned them way down. Mm-hmm. We turned them down so the student couldn't hear their teacher. Mm-hmm. We turned them up, and then you could hear everybody's teacher. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like one big mush. It's hard enough to learn when you can only hear your teacher if you have to hear them all at once. What if you could sort those sounds out though and learn 25 lessons at once? <laughs>
0: that's what I want to do. <laughs>
1: but that's, that that's awesome. for next year, right? oh, oh, just next year. <laughs> so how do you put that sound out for just one student? You remember, we talked about this before. That's my current, one of my current.
2: Inventionary yeah, projects, <laughs>
1: and I've been working really hard on it, and have been making some progress. I found out why that little circuit that I showed you
2: mm-hmm.
1: didn't work at first. Oh. The ultrasonic transducers
0: mm-hmm.
1: could not go the forty kilohertz I was driving them at. Oh, yeah. Shame on them. So I found some <laughs> that did. That, that helped. And now it's turning out that I have to have the ultrasound signal. Remember, the the idea of this is you send out a 40,000 hertz signal, which is so high in pitch that only bats can hear it, people can't. And then when you get to the ear, you have that signal interfere to create the normal frequency sound so you can hear it. So the only person that could hear it would be the person right there in front of it. But uh, I did get it to work. Except, the ultrasound had to be loud enough that I'm afraid that it might give some of the students headaches,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we don't want that. But we don't want to bother <laughs> you. Well, it worked. Yeah,
0: that's neat.
1: We could try it out on you.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I can demonstrate it now, but we've got to get it so that it works with a much softer high frequency sound. You can't hear it, but what if it does cause disturbances and? As an invention here, it's my job to consider things like the cost, like the safety yeah. attributes. And when I researched it, uh, the, the research indicates that if you have very high intensity ultrasound, it might cause people to get headaches. I'm not up at what you'd call really high, but I'm higher than I would want to be. I want it so it doesn't bother anybody. So, back to the drawing board, and now I'm working on a new way of making the audible sound a lot louder with a weaker ultrasound signal. And I've got an idea, a theory, I'm going to a more complicated circuit, but I think it might work. And I've also started developing a version where I don't use ultrasound at all. Instead, I've got a dish, like a telescope mirror, that would hover above the head of the students. <laughs> it would actually come out on an arm and hang there, you go sit down under there. It's like a little umbrella dome up that there stink. that would focus the sound just straight down on you. So it'd be like a column of sound. Okay, that's, neat. Mm-hmm. that's yeah. neat. So I'm going to build those this weekend and I've got a couple to try out. So it's like a competition going on between the ultrasound solution and the focused Umbrella solution. And and these two competing technologies are now getting really excited and fighting to, fighting for the best. But boy, then in, in 120 years, Tobias will be up here announcing the invention of the non-headphone.
2: Which would be a
1: really big deal. But if we can do this, we will solve a lot of problems for schools. We ship out a lot of headphones, yep. and the headphones for our cellist pods have a very short life. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of <laughs> pretty fast. So this will be, be good for the schools, but especially it might help prevent the spread of certain species and germs. That's a
0: nice way of
1: saying it. Mm-hmm. That. That's a nice
0: way
1: That's of saying nice it. <laughs> you know, is is really, really a lot of fun. And I was doing a project to find a real lightweight way of storing hydrogen, metal hydride. We've talked about hydrogen. We'll talk more about hydrogen, and I've got new ideas on, on the hydrogen front. But trying to make a mixture of metals or a metal alloy where you melt different metals together and then see which ones would absorb more hydrogen became very difficult for us to predict mathematically. Uh, We didn't really have the science to be able to predict which ones would work best, so we had to do trial and error. We'd make a mixture of two alloys, put in more zinc, put in more iron, put in more titanium, and try and find out which alloy really worked best. Well, when we started getting into tertiary alloys, that means an alloy that has three metals, then there were a lot to try. And we could even try some with four and five metals. And so as we were doing these, we'd put them in a little tester, we'd hook up the hydrogen, we'd pull a vacuum, would heat it, would activate it, would charge with hydrogen, and would measure how much it would store. Well, when we started doing a lot of tests, it started to take a lot of time. It would take like 20 hours to do one test. So I got this idea. What if we had a little computer that would sit and run the test. I could have a whole bunch of them in the lab and they could run all night, all weekend. We could test a lot of things. So I checked to see what it would cost for a computer to do that. Now this is, yeah, clear back in the mid 70s, 1970s. That's when dinosaurs were still in the parks. (laughs) Anyway, a computer to be able to run that experiment, the best I could find was a PDP-11 which was a deck computer, it was like a little mini-computer. And uh, then I read about the new Intel microprocessor. Intel, which was a fairly new company then, had developed one chip that had thousands of transistors in it, and it was a computer all in one container. And I got one of those, and I built a, a control circuit with the help of some of my engineers, and we made a hydride tester and we started testing all kinds of alloys. But as I looked at that chip and as I worked with it, as we programmed it, I began to realize, this little chip is gonna completely change the world. All we had was mini computers and mainframes. That's all there were. And I thought, with this, everybody's gonna have a computer, everybody. Mm. And when everybody has a computer, they're gonna wanna figure out a way that everybody can share all the information. And that's a massive computer problem. And I figured, I am going to invent a way for everybody's computers in the world to share the same information. And so I started out by building one of these little personal computers, you know, like, I have a sample of one of these little personal computers right here. Here's a real powerful one. Yeah. Yeah, it's very powerful, but, This one hadn't come along yet. We still had a chip that was almost that big. And so I had to build a computer, so I decided I am going to build the computer. And what am I going to call it? The Lear computer, after Mm -hmm. my mentor. Or the Edison computer. And I thought, well, they named theirs after them, (laughs) so I'll just call mine the Billings computer. Would you like to see it? The very first Billings computer, there it is. Ta-da! So, I have a terminal, and this terminal was uh, something that I borrowed from a mainframe computer. It's called a dumb terminal, because it has a keyboard and it has a screen, but it doesn't do any computing. It just interfaces to the computer. And then, on top is the CPU. That's where the Intel chip was. And those little switches are how you program it. So you flip them up and down, and you could set the data you wanted for a particular memory location, and then you put write, and it would stick that in that memory location. You could sit and run it. It took us a while to get it to work with the terminal, and then down below we have two floppy drives. Now, the floppy drives are kind of interesting because... Some of you probably didn't even get to experience the floppy moment. (laughs) (laughs) But a floppy drive is, is different than a hard drive. A hard drive is a disk, a very stiff metal disk with a magnetic coating on it and you can record data by magnetizing little specks of metal on the disk so that you could store data and read it back. A floppy took a piece of thin plastic mylar and coating it with a magnetic coating. And then to protect it, you put it in a folder, which you could stick into a reader. And it would spin inside the folder. And you had a head that would read data. And it was called floppy because it was literally floppy. Well, if you look on my little computer here, I have two floppy drives. They took an 8-inch floppy. And that was my first computer. Well, I had a hard time. getting people very interested in these computers, which was really disappointing because I thought everybody would have one. You know, you could wear those on your watch. <laughs> I think it weighed about 295 pounds with all the pieces, um, but just think of the toning you could get you know, <laughs> when you go out in space. Um, we perfected that design a little bit, made it a little prettier and we built a factory It was in the back of our hydrogen lab, and our factory could build two of these every single week, (laughs) which means we could do eight in a month, and if we had the guys work weekends, we could do 10 a month. (laughs) And so I went out to sell them, and I, where do you go to sell a computer? (laughs) So you go out, and people have heard of mainframes, they've heard of minis, and here I've got this thing in my trunk. I said, yeah, it's a a microcomputer. I actually uh, trademarked microsystem as a microcomputer. Microsystem was my brand, a Billings microsystem. And I went to all my friends, and none of them were needing one right then. (laughs) And I went and went and went. And finally, the owner of the office supply company where I bought my desk... And furniture for my office said, oh, okay, I'll buy one. <laughs> but I think it was because he liked my business.
2: <laughs> he
1: didn't know that it would be useful, but he bought one. And then the guy bought the insulation for my building walls from, he bought my second one. And that's all I had was two, and I sold them. And I, <laughs> we're in business now. They were very hard to sell. Uh, there wasn't very much you could do with them, but it was an amazing breakthrough. So then I said, you know, all these big heavy pieces are crazy. We've got to get it down to something like, well, I wasn't ready to say that. (laughs) We've got to get it down to something smaller. So we worked very hard to take all those pieces and put it into one box. And we built one circuit board, it was about this big, that had all of the parts of the computer on one board, even the power supply. And... We got a machine, we actually put the parts, like the resistors and the capacitors and the parts, we put them on the board manually. We had little things to bend them the right size and then people would stick them through the holes and when they were all stuck through, all these parts sticking through the bottom, we would then put them on a conveyor that went through a bath of molten solder that would flow up around the bottom, this long, uh, area and the melted solder would flow up through and over. And as the board would go over, it would solder all the parts because we had thousands of solder joints to make. And so some of those boards would be going down that conveyor and they would get stuck on something and fall off and then dive <laughs> down into the big lake of molten solder. <laughs> and we would get a tool and fish them out. And they come out all silver. (laughs) And uh, my production guy called them divers. Because they would dive down in the solder. And after a little while, we had a whole pile of divers. Because after they did that, you couldn't use them again. It was just impossible to use them. So the divers were stacking up. And all of my money was getting tied up in the divers. And I couldn't sell anymore. I had those two sold. But (laughs) no one else decided to buy them. So... We figured out how we could make all on this one board, and we put them in production. And then I needed a case to put them in. Got to have a cabinet. Well, how do you make a cabinet? Well, the cabinet I need, need to hold the screen, need to hold the drives, the floppy drives, need to hold the keyboard. And um, where do you get something like that? Well, I found a company out in Davenport, Iowa, that would mold a certain kind of plastic called plastic foam or it was foam molding and at at that time it was very new and it was strong enough that it could hold the weight of these components Mm -hmm. so we made a design for a foam molded cabinet and paid them to make a tool so they could stamp some out and send them to us and they told us how long it would take it took longer Mm -hmm. it took longer and i bought a full page for advertising in a computer magazine called Datamation. Remember, this is before there were personal computers. 1976 to be exact. And it was getting closer and closer to the time of the ad, but they didn't send me any cabinets. When are they coming? Well, we're working on it, we're having problems, it's a big mold, you know. And so last minute, we were out of time, so I went down to the guys, the architects that design houses. And you know they have a guy there that would make a drawing of the house you're going to build so you could see what it was going to look like. And I said, if I give you these drawings, can you make a drawing of what my computer's going to look like? <laughs> he said, sure. So he drew it up. I looked at it, wow, it looks pretty, I'd never seen it before. (laughs) And I put it in the magazine, I ran an ad, and I said, here's the Billings computer, you really should order one. I couldn't put a picture because I didn't have one, so I put the rendering. Would you like to see it? Yes. Introducing the new Billings Microsystem. And can you see, it's just a drawing. Mm -hmm. It's all in one cabinet, the whole computer, it's a little screen, And it has the two small floppies, which I helped develop because they only had the big ones. And there it is, $39.95 for a whole computer. That ad ran in Datamation. And I'm holding my breath what if nobody buys it? What if nobody buys it? But to my surprise and shock, to be real honest, I received 900 checks in the mail. That was just under $4 million, which was more money than existed on planet Earth, as far as I knew. (laughs) (laughs) And 900 computers, let's see, we can build eight a week, 10 if we work weekends, (laughs) that would be 90 weeks of production. (laughs) And these people want it right now. Of course. Absolutely right now. So I ran down the street, found a big building for rent. Rented the building, started building a factory to build 1,000 of these a month. Probably one of the biggest financial mistakes of my career. The demand wasn't for 1,000 a week, it was by my month, it was for 100,000 a month. Oh. And I should have got the factory a little further down the road where they made dumb terminals and they could build 100,000 a month. And I should have, mm. because this was before Apple, it was before everybody. But you know, a thousand to me, I was just out of school. I have four million dollars almost in the bank. What else could I want? Well, anyway. <laughs> so we started building these computers and we started shipping them out to people and they started re liking them. But they said, what programs can we run? Programs. You know, you just write your own. We don't know how to write programs. <laughs> um, Uh, programs, programs, yes, we need programs. Panic, quick, 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 what am I going to do? Well, there was a a program that had been in the papers. It's called BASIC. And there was a more advanced version called Extended BASIC, eBASIC, and it was really easy. Anybody could learn to program in it. And the guys that had written this were down in New Mexico down in Albuquerque. So I jumped on an airplane. I went down to see him. And I said, guys, I need your program. Well, I went to their world headquarters and I was really surprised when the taxi dropped me off at this little apartment building. <laughs> hmm. Well, went up, found the room, knocked on the door, and the president chairman of their company came out and greeted me, invited me to come in, and asked me to sit down. And he said in the chair, and I sat on his bed. <laughs> and we had a real nice conversation. His name was Bill Gates. And he had just left school to start his little company called Microsoft. And they had a one program called eBasic. And they hadn't really got an office yet because it was right at the very, very, very beginning. I said, I need your program. And I need more programs. So I hired him to write four different programs for me, for you. Techie guys, Fortran, COBOL, Macro Assembler, and of course, he basic, he'd already written, but put on my computer. So he said, to make it run on your computer, we'll need one of your computers, so I shipped him one. And that was in 1977, when he started using it at the beginning of the year, I shipped it in 76. And in 1981, which is like five years later, the IBM PC first came out. And at the launch of the IBM PC, IBM decided to use Microsoft software. Well, Microsoft software was all developed on the Billings computer. And in Time Magazine, they ran a picture of Bill Gates. Now, you gotta realize in this picture, he's five years older than when I met him, okay? And in the background of this picture I'm gonna show you, you'll see the first IBM PC computer, which he had just sold software at IBM for a fortune. And on his desk was the computer that he used personally, which was the Billings computer. And here he is, my friend, Mr. Bill Gates. And you'll notice right over there that Billings computer, Mm -hmm. and you can tell by the smile on his face, he loves that computer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You you can. You can tell, look at that. Oh yeah, he's
1: happy. Yeah,
2: he's happy. Well,
1: (laughs) the the Billings computer uh, became very, very popular, and we shipped units all over the world. And uh, I can tell many, many stories because this was the first big adventure for me. A lot of things I've done in research, but this is the first time I tinkered in a thing called manufacturing and marketing and selling. And inventioners have to do all of these things. I'm really grateful that I had my year with Bill Lear because he taught me many things about business and about manufacturing and about making a product that is absolutely the best. And this little Billings Computer did very, very well. It was the foundation of a lot of things uh, that happened in my career. It was the foundation of Acellus. Uh, Some of you have heard of a a wonderful university called Western Governors University. Uh, It's interesting, the guy that started Western Governors University came to me back in the early Billings Computer days and told me, He wanted to develop learning programs on a computer, and he asked me if I would provide the computer, so I did. And so all the early development work that became Western Governors University was done on a Billings computer and a lot of other things too. Uh, It shows what you can do. That computer jumped over everything that existed on planet Earth on our green, wonderful planet in terms of computer, microcomputer technology. It became the one and only the leader, and it did extremely well. Now, interestingly, the uh, Billings computer was not my goal. My goal was hydrogen. (laughs) And so the Billings computer ended up being sold, and uh, it gave me the resources to do a lot of these other projects that I'm doing, but it's fun to get an idea in your head. And Bill Lear, you know, got the idea of the Learjet. He really saw it, he envisioned it, he knew what it was. He actually flew it in his mind. He even took his wife for a ride in the kitchen. And then he knew how to build it. Well, with me, I invented the computer. I took my wife for a ride, I told her all about it. I said, hey, I have an idea that's gonna change the world. And it wasn't just for making a good little computer. It was about making a computer that could share information with all the other computers on the planet. And I told her, someday everybody's going to have one. And I said, the problem of all being able to share information is very difficult to solve. And my solution was to have central computers, which I call data centers. Today they're called servers. And by having the servers that all the computers can Uh, connect to and get the information with the protocol and and these are uh, things that are described in my patent it became possible for us to share information in in the amazing way we do today I really think people are blocked from doing their greatest achievements because they just don't realize they can Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and you know if if you're going to do something, something big especially, something that not everybody else is doing, you first have to figure out what it is you want to do, and then you have to believe that you can. Yeah. Uh, I take a lot of pride in the, in the personal computer space. Uh, one of the countries that really got excited about the billing's computer was Norway. Have you ever heard of Norway? I have. have you? Well, there's a company in Norway that does things like make tires for big trucks, and it makes boats, mm-hmm. big, you know, big, big boats. You ever heard of Viking? Yes. Viking is a major company in Norway, and Viking, this big, giant company, decided they wanted to be the Billings Computer Dealer, dealer. for all of Norway. <laughs> I said, sure, I don't think we'll sell anything in Norway anyway. So, no, I didn't say that. So they became the dealer, and they started selling the, what they, in, in, I have Norwegian brochures, but they call it the Billings Microsystemer.
2: Systemer. That's how they spelled it. And they
1: started selling computers. They set up stores all over Norway, and we sold more computers in Norway than we did in the U.S.
2: There you go. Yeah,
1: because we had a good reseller. And... Uh, It was just exciting with the power of the marketing capacity they had and with the advantages of this computer. They were very, very, very successful, and so were we. It's really fun to have a business like that and have it really take off, but you've got to understand you go up that optimism curve and then you go down and you don't get discouraged. When we started shipping out, these 900 computers to all the people that have been waiting for them, because we could now build 1,000 a month. The computers were arriving at our customers, and about half of them would arrive broken. Mm. They were broken. And the reason they were broken is because the guys in shipping are so gentle.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: not. Not. <laughs> they, we, we put fragile there. Great big letters on the box, big sticker. Fragile, handled Mm -hmm. with care. Oh, fragile, huh? (laughs) And and they'd arrive broken. And it was, people would say, oh, it's broken. I need another one. So we'd have to replace them, and there was going our money, and we needed parts. We couldn't get enough parts. And so I went down to our factory, which was just a few blocks from my office, and I saw all those computers going down the assembly line. It was neat to see them all, and they all said billings. (laughs) It's not that it... Bothered my ego. (laughs) But it didn't hurt anything, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I figured out, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do about this? So I went over, and I picked up one of the computers that was on final inspection line. I picked it up, I had the plant manager there with me, and I turned it around sideways, and I dropped. no. (laughs) And it just shattered into parts. And I said, just pretend I'm one of the shipping guys. That's what we do to them. Now what you guys have got to do is figure out how to make it so that won't hurt them. And wow. I, I got big eyes. like, "You're <laughs> kidding." Did. I said, "No, no, they're getting broken shipping." And he says, "Well, how am I going to fix that?" And I said, "Well, better packaging
2: mm-hmm.
1: and stronger. You're kidding." And I, I couldn't be kidding, because I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. It was going to destroy us. Mm-hmm. So they went in, they put braces on the drives so the weight, when they fell, wouldn't do it. They changed the packaging. They put the special foam around it and all of these different things. And then he told me, we got it. So I went to the factory, picked up one again, went on, hit the floor. It didn't shatter. Picked it up again. I dropped it three times. Ship away, (laughs) ship away. (laughs) But it is interesting all the things they had to do. As soon as they knew that they had to be able to survive shipping, they did it. They fixed it. When I first dropped them, I wasn't sure we were ever going to be able to make a computer that could survive shipping. But we had to try. And we did it. And it made a difference. And in business and in technology and in research and in entrepreneurship and in getting along with Dr. Page. Pejim-
0: You you gotta keep trying. You gotta keep trying. You gotta keep trying. Did
1: I put my foot in my mouth?
0: (laughs) You gotta keep trying. (laughs) Get along with me. It's tough.
1: Excuse me just a second. I'm being socialized. Okay.
0: Socialized. Socialized.
1: That doesn't sound right, does it? I'm I'm being taught a social, emotional lesson. Okay, go ahead.
0: I'm not that bad.
1: I'm not that bad I'm not that bad I'm not that bad
0: I'm not that bad
1: (laughs) Okay, I think I'm better
0: We're not that bad
1: You know you're a good teacher Okay, well All I want to say is If you cannot See your dream You'll never know whether or not You've achieved it Bill there. Most people never achieve their dreams because they don't know what they are. Dream big, believe in yourself, and make things happen. That's what inventionary is all about, isn't it? So now uh, Dr. Pej Monet's asked me if she could have a few minutes to kind of sum up. So I'm gonna turn the time to her.
0: Did I ask?
1: I, I think we've got some bad information. <laughs> she did not ask. I did not ask. How many are in favor of turning some time to her? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So, seriously, what do you think about inventionary? Are you an inventioneer? And why do you think? And, and tell us your feelings about
0: it. I think it's crucial to really making the world work. I really do. And I think that all the ladies and the young women out there who think they can't be. That's not true. And the young guys. I think that there's an invention in all of us. And I think that you're showing us that. That's what I think.
1: And I think she is an inventioneer. Mm-hmm. And some of the things she's inventioned we can't talk about. That's
0: true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. There's something that is garbage.
1: <laughs> but it's, it's really wonderful. Now you remember a few years ago Um, we challenged her to create a series of special lessons that would respond to certain situations, crisis situations in people's life. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there would be a serious illness or you'd lose Mm -hmm. someone very close to you or any of these events that that happened to real people. And we just said, so could you create some lessons so that if a student went through a situation like that, they would have some support, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe someone's being bullied. A lot of people are, are bullied at times in school. Maybe you could help them deal with that kind of trauma, that kind of a situation. And some of the students maybe have gotten caught up in bullying, maybe they need a special lesson on why that's not how they want to be. And so she created these lessons. Uh, the lessons were, were pretty amazing, in fact they still are. Mm-hmm. But we had to take them down yep. because um, the students started watching all of them, and the parents yeah. thought, "Well, wait a minute,'m not <laughs> sure. <laughs> I
0: not sure they need that. Mm-hmm.
1: And you think that's a wild story. Did I tell you what happened at the prison?
2: <laughs> we have <two>
0: <laughs> <laughs> in the first you know, <coughs> this is not can i tell them this
1: <laughs> All right, we just have one minute, so we're going to have to talk we fast. In, in the very first social lessons, we were teaching social emotional education and PE, yeah, we right? Were and so she was out there teaching them how there to do go. these aerobic <laughs> exercises. Okay. And we got contacted by one of the prisons that was using the cellos. They said, really? we need to take that out of the library. And we said, why? And they said, because... The inmates are just watching those 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. So we did. All we I'm did. trying to say is if any of you would like to have these special lessons for special situations and you'd like to make them available, will you please let us know? And please have your parents let the uh, uh, Cellus Academy know because we could make these available. On a limited basis. They are really amazing. They're my favorite lessons. They really.
0: We get there, don't we?
1: (laughs) I watched them all, and it made me a better person.
0: (laughs) We we talk about the real things.
1: Do you see that positive attitude? It made me a better person. Thank you. We'll see you next time.